Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of Malachi. Not an often preached from book, the last book of the Old Testament. Probably easier for some of us, anyway, to find by knowing it's the last book of the Old Testament rather than turn to the book of Malachi. And that's all right. That's all right. To our young people, and they've scattered from hither to yon, children's church, and out this way, thank you to our young people. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. My heart is touched by these young folks. They are such a blessing, such an encouragement. They love the Lord, and they enjoy what they're doing, but they have been taught at home, and they have been taught by their leaders here. This is their ministry. They are doing this not as a program, but they are doing this as their gift to the Savior, and that makes it even sweeter. Choir, thank you. We are always in your debt, musicians, all of you, for leading us in an hour of worship. And again, we look forward to your Christmas music. We will pray for you this week especially and trust that God will give good health to all of you. I saw one gentleman this morning, and I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm not going to shake hands with you. I got a bug. And then he followed that up by saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, which I thought was pretty good. So we pray for our musicians that God will give them good help. Pray with me, please. Father, we commit to you our time this morning. We have been blessed already in the singing of the hymns and the giving of our gifts and praying, being led in worship by precious young people and seeing them and hearing them express their faith by the adult choir and our musicians. And simply in gathering together to fellowship one with another, we have been blessed this morning, our Father. We now pray as we look into the infallible and inerrant word of God that God the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Through the fault of the pulpit, generally speaking, pulpits, plural, the passage that we come to this morning is, I believe, often misdirected. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, is so often relegated only to stewardship campaigns and to the plea for money. Uh, I will not ask for any verbal responses, but in your own mind, the last time you heard a message on Malachi 3, verse 8, what was the, what was the content of the message? It had to do... If I were given to gambling, I'm not, but if I were given to gambling, I would wager that the last time you heard a sermon on Malachi 3.8, it had to do with giving. And that is made the sum total of this passage of Scripture, verses 7 through 12. I believe, as I said already, that's misdirected. I believe that the thrust and the primary importance and the primary intent of Malachi 3.7 through 12 is a plea for repentance. I hope to be able to show you that and and, uh, leave that with us this morning. Let me read verses 7 and 8. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed thee in tithes and in offerings? Would you please notice the primary 
subject under consideration here is not money. The primary consideration is in the heart of verse 7. Return to me and I will return to you. That is a plea for the children of, to the children of Israel through Malachi the prophet to return to the Lord God. Return to Jehovah. Return to the God of Israel. Come home. Come home. Return to me. And again, so often it is the text is relegated to money. Now, money comes up. Finances comes up. The word tithing and offerings come up in this passage. I do not, however, though I will speak about that because it's in the text, but I do not believe that's the main thrust of the passage. I believe that the matter of the giving that is singled out in this particular text is illustrative. The call is for repentance. Return to me. Repent. Come back to me. And the matter of the, the giving, the matter of money, if you want to think of that, is again simply illustrating the matter of repentance. Repentance is the primary subject of this passage of Scripture. Verse 7 again is the key. Return to me and I will return to you. This is a plea for Israel to return to God. And reflective of whether or not they have returned to God or whether or not they have not returned to God is the matter of their tithes and offerings. Back up for just a moment with me. Go back to verse 6. And then let me pick up the first part of verse 7 once again. Verse 6. For I the Lord do not change, therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, if you'll understand that last, the last three words in verse 6, not consumed, God was protecting Israel. He did in ages past. He does today. God will not allow the nation of Israel to be wiped off the face of the earth. There may be difficult days uh, for them ahead as there have been in the past. But the promise that he made there, I the Lord do not change. Therefore, and until God changes, there will be an Israel. Would to God, if you'll let me just insert this before I go on, would to God that our politicians, all of them in Washington, understood that. They do not, however. Nonetheless, that's for another day. This is a plea for Israel to return to God. That's what comes out. You're not consumed because of it. And then he says to them in verse 7 again, return to me. Return to me. God had been faithful to a faithless nation. To me, as I read through the Old Testament, it seems to me that the nation Israel, God had called them, God had done everything for them, and yet at times in their history they sunk to the lowest ebb. God had been faithful to a faithless Israel. He had watched over them. He had protected them. He had guarded them. He had taught them. He had disciplined them. And He looked upon Israel as the apple of his eye, even when they were in captivity, even when they were in Assyria and Babylonia, God watched over them. He permitted them to return to their land. He was taking care of them. He was watching over them. His hand of protection would not permit the nation Israel to be snuffed out. God had been and still is faithful to that nation. But we see in verse 7 in Malachi's day, Israel had been faithless. He says, return to me, says the Lord of hosts. We do not get to the full meaning of 
repentance until actually we come to the New Testament. Uh, It's fully fleshed out. The idea of repentance is fully fleshed out in the New Testament. Here, the Lord is calling through Malachi to His people Israel to return to me. By the way, let me just say here, return is repentance. Return is repentance. Repentance means to to change your mind. Repentance means to go in the other direction. This is a... I've thought about whether or not I should even use it as something with illustration because I, I, I don't like to use illustrations that get people thinking about something else and then I can't get them back. You know what this is? Probably 99% of the people in this auditorium is going to have one, a cell phone. It is off, by the way. <laughs> Sometime back, Louise and I had uh, taken a little trip and uh, on the way back, I asked for directions. It can be a good thing. It can be a pain, but it can be a good thing. And uh, getting directions is something that I appreciate here. I've even got a couple of apps to, to get directions. You know, We were coming home, and I don't particularly enjoy driving on 40 and 85. And we were coming back. We were over on the other side of Greensboro, and so put in, we wanted to get to... Fuqua Arena, and we got directions. The only problem with it was uh, I knew where I wanted to go, and I knew I wanted to get back to Highway 64 as soon as I could and get off of the interstates. But the directions came up on the phone, bringing me all the way down 40. And so I got to one of the roads that I I knew came back to 64, so I turned off. And you know what happened next. This nice little black thing started saying, go 200 yards and make a U-turn. And I didn't. And it would say, in one mile, turn left. And I didn't. And this thing kept telling me, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. May I say to you, that's repentance. Okay? That is a worldly illustration of repentance. This this lady, I wonder who she is, by the way. You might know. <laughs> turn around, turn around, go back the other way. That's what repentance means. You're going in one direction. You have a change of mind, and basically, in the New Testament, the the the, the Greek word in the New Testament is metanoia, and it means to have a change of mind. It means to turn around. You're, you're going in one direction, turn around. Go back, just like the lady was telling me. You're going the wrong way, fella. That's the thrust of the passage. Malachi is trying to get the children of Israel to repent, to turn around, to come back to the Lord. You know, I can't help but, but wonder. It's usually in messages you expect some applications to be made toward the end of the sermon. I want to make one right now. I wonder if there is someone in this auditorium this morning who is in the same condition that the nation Israel was in and who needs to make a U-turn. Go back to the Lord. Maybe there's someone in this place this morning and God has protected your life in a special way. Perhaps you've been in an automobile accident from which, humanly speaking, you shouldn't have survived, but you did. 
Perhaps there's someone in this room this morning who's had an illness that could have taken your life, but it didn't. God has protected you. He has kept you. But I can't help but wonder, is there somebody who's had that experience, one of those experiences or something similar, who's still going the wrong way, like Israel? God protected them. God blessed them. God honored them. God brought them back. He brought them into their land. But Malachi had to say to them, return. Is there somebody in this room this morning to whom the Spirit of God is saying, repent? Your lifestyle is amiss. Return to me. Turn around. Turn around. Back to Israel, if I can. In their self-righteousness, verse 7, they say, how shall we return? What the nation is saying to Malachi and to God is, we haven't gone anywhere. We're still here. They had traded reality and they had substituted ritualism for that reality. Uh, Bodily, they were there. Bodily, they were still going to the temple. And I presume, though the text does not spell it out for us, I presume they were bringing a, a portion of their offerings. Very little, but a portion of their offerings. And I base that on, on the fact that it was just a little by what's said in the text. Verse 8, will a man rob God? Again, please keep in mind the passage thrust is repentance. When he talks about their tithing and their offerings, it is only illustrative. It is as an illustration of the fact that they have not repented and the fact that they need to repent. Will a man rob God? You say, how are we robbing God? Answer, in tithes and in offerings. I want to be careful here. Our text speaks of a situation in Israel before Jesus Christ ever came to this earth. We are not looking at 2015 in this text of Scripture. Applications, yes. Interpretation, by interpretation, this passage deals with the nation Israel. And in the Old Testament, the tithe was a veritable tax. In fact, according to the Scriptures, there were at least three, at least three tithes. I have all through my life found it interesting that churches which major on preaching tithing only mention one. I I find that convenient. If you're going to preach tithing, preach tithing, okay? Let me tell you a little bit more about tithing, okay? First of all, there was a, uh, all the produce of the land was to be tithed in the area where they lived. In other words, that tithe was to be on their produce, whatever the land crops produced, uh, that tithe was to go to the Levites in that area. If, for example, you lived in the south in Beersheba, you would tithe your crops there and the tithe would go to the Levites uh, around Beersheba. That's the first tithe on all that the land produced. Second tithe was one that was taken to Jerusalem and given in the temple. And there was much that came into the city of Jerusalem and they built, they added rooms adjacent to the temple so that Things could be stored. The grain could be stored. The other things that were brought into the temple could be stored there. That was the second tithe. One on the produce, one given to the temple, 
And every three years, there was an additional 10% that was for the poor. Think about it. 20% every year is what the text called for. 30% on the third year. 30%. That was their tax structure. But Israel, the text of Scripture says, they were robbing the nation. Israel was robbing God. I don't know. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. To rob God? I mean, how brazen would an individual be? To me, you would have to downgrade God a whole lot. You know, I have a hard time thinking about somebody robbing a bank or a convenience store. You know, but to rob God seems like that's a whole nother deal. But the text says that's what Israel was doing: robbing God. And it's more than just the tithe. But you would notice in verse 8, the last three words of verse 8, tithes and offerings. So they had tithes, 20% a year, 10% added on the third year, and then they had offerings beyond that that were to be given. There were votive offerings, there were sacrifices, and, and so on. A lot of them beyond the tithe. Malachi is saying, I can prove you have not repented. I can prove you have not turned around and going back toward the Lord. You are not returning to the Lord. Malachi said, I can prove it to you. I can prove it because you're not giving as you ought. Proof of your failure to repent is seen in your offerings. I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with the next heading that I've given to verses 9 through 10. I'm calling it proof of repentance. It's... It would show repentance. Um, Israel was not there yet. But verse 9 says, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And this curse is explained down in verse 11. If you'll drop down verse 11. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord. Two ways Malachi said I can prove you are not repenting. You are not returning to the Lord. One is through your gifts. You're not doing what you ought there. But second, demonstrating and and noting the fact that you have not returned to the Lord. You are not doing that. Look at your crops. Look at your crops. Every year there was a plague. Locusts, grasshoppers, biting insects. Sucking insects, blight. Every year your grapes begin to grow, but they come to clusters, but before they ripen, they drop off the vine. Look at your crops. That demonstrates you have not repented. You have not returned to the Lord. That's what God's saying in verse 9. You are cursed with a curse for robbing me, the whole nation. First thing then is evidence of Israel's sin. Their giving and their crops. Evidence of Israel's repentance is found in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Mark you well, dear friends. God is saying through Malachi the prophet to the nation Israel, prove your love. Prove your love. Confirm your love. Ratify it by bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. I want to sum up this particular point with five words. Purse strings 
reveal heart strings. Purse strings reveal heart strings. They did in the Old Testament. Read the text. But you know, I find it interesting. I personally do not believe that the church's giving program ought to be taken from the Old Testament. The church's program for giving, I think, comes out of 2 Corinthians. And that's grace giving. Now, somebody's going to sit here this morning and say, ah, boy, that relieves me. I don't have to give 10%. May I say to you, grace giving exceeds the tithe. You go to 2 Corinthians and read for yourself. I'm not making that up. That's not preacher talk. That's not preacher dust being sprinkled. That's what the Bible says. Grace giving. But you know what? Purse strings reveal heart strings. Did so in the Old Testament. And that's still true in the New Testament. I said, wait a minute. I thought you said something else. No. You listening? Who was it that said, no verbal responses, but who was it that said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also? That was the one who owns the church. Jesus. Where your treasure is, what you value most, you're going to put your treasure there. <coughs> May I say to you in terms of application again, reflecting our church and churches in general giving, if the Lord of glory had no other way, if He does, but if the Lord of glory had no other way, He could tell where our hearts are by looking at our checkbook. Where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. Purse strings reveal heart strings. Pray with me. Father, there's not an individual in this room this morning in whose life every single thing is just as you would have it. We are human. We are frail creatures of dust. The Word of God says that. Frail creatures of dust. Truth be known, most of us have struggles in our walk of faith. We are not totally where you would have us to be. I trust we're on the way, but we're not there yet. Therefore, there is room for this message of repentance to take lodgment in our own hearts. And for the same illustration that Malachi the prophet used with the children of Israel, purse strings reveal heart strings. And maybe our Father... There are areas of our life in which we need to make changes. We need to repent. In the New Testament, so far as I can find, Jesus, nor any of the apostles, nor anywhere in the Word of God, is the message of repent directed to somebody that was outside of Christ. The only repentance necessary for someone outside of Christ is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The message of repentance is directed to the saints. Father, speak to our hearts. Draw us to thyself.
help us to return to our first love. The prodigal son was not chastened when he got home. His chastisement was living with the pigs. He was welcomed home. And in the same fashion, our chastisement is upon us when we turn away from you. When we come home, we're welcome. We're not chastened. Speak to the hearts of all who are in this room. Thank you for your grace in calling back to yourself recalcitrant children. Give to us the good sense to heed and to come home. If there's someone in this room this morning who's never trusted Jesus as Savior, may God the Holy Spirit speak to their hearts and tell them that Jesus loves them. And He has said through His Word, Him that cometh to Me, I will in no wise cast out. One who comes to Jesus, no matter what His background, no matter what His lifestyle, one who comes to Jesus will be received by Him. What a wonderful message that we have to share with those who have not yet trusted Christ. He loves you. And if you'll come to Him, He'll not cast you out. He'll not cast you away. He'll not turn you aside. He will forgive you. Cleanse you of your sins and give you His Word of a home in heaven. Speak your truth, we pray, to all of our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. As with gladness, men of old, hymn number 163 is our hymn of appeal. My dear friend, listen to me for just a moment, please. You can put your things away later. If you're in this room this morning, I don't ask you to walk an aisle. If you wish to, I will meet you here so that you can profess your faith in Christ publicly if you would like to do so. But hear me well. You can trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right where you sit. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. I trust you as my personal Savior. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to become a Christian. In fact, sometimes I think that would be a a hindrance. You can trust Jesus where you sit. If you need to come back to the Lord, if you need to come home, if you need to return to Him, tell Him that right now. He'll cleanse you. He'll do what you ask for Him to do for you. Enjoy the lights, the tinsel, all of the things, all of the accoutrements of Christmas. Enjoy them. But don't let them veil the one about whom they exist, and that is Jesus. I enjoy the Christmas tree behind me. I really do. I try always to be here when it's delivered. I was again this time. I watched when it was unwrapped. I wanted to be here the other night when it was decorated, but I had other plans and couldn't enjoy them. I love the smell of the tree. After it was put up, I came in here and just sat down three or four rows back right there, just sat there, enjoyed the tree without anything on it, just its fragrance. Nothing wrong with enjoying the things of Christmas, the carols, the music of Christmas. Just don't let them hide or take the place 
what Christmas is really about. A couple of things I intended to say and didn't. To those folks who cut greens and made our wreaths, to the folks who decorated the tree for us, to those who've given poinsettias, and that list will be coming out very soon, to all who've had a part, to every single one who've had a part in decorating Wake Chapel Church, we thank you earnestly. God bless you. It is work, folks. The sun was shining when when they went to cut greens, but that's work. And then to come back here, bring the greens, and make the wreaths. That's a day's work. Thank you to all. Sweet lady who's here this morning, and uh, I take the responsibility. I simply did not get her name on our prayer list, but it's not in praise. Sarah Toots here this morning. Sarah had a, a procedure with the heart done this past week, and she got a good report. But you know what, folks? Anytime they start tinkering with your heart, that's serious stuff. And if you don't think it is, um, uh, I have a fine doctor I'll get you an appointment with next week. Sarah, we're glad you're here, lady. God bless you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We are a family. There are folks in this room this morning who are rejoicing. I can't, I won't point out some that I know whose hearts are heavy, but there are people here this morning whose hearts are heavy. Would you, as a member of this church, take a few moments before you leave this morning? Put your arm around somebody's shoulder. Take a hand, shake hands, and say, it's good to see you. There's no encouragement any better than that which comes, if you'll allow me to put it this way, in skin and bones. Somebody needs a word of encouragement from you. Take a moment before you leave. Encourage someone. David McCreary is our deacon today. David, if you'll come and dismiss us with prayer. And after he prays, we will sing, God be with you until we meet again. Don't do this as something perfunctorily. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and I can't tell you the, how many millions of times I have sung just as I am. Still a great hymn, okay? And that's how we come to God, just as we are. He didn't say, repent, and then I'll take you. He says, come to me. His blood is the cleansing agent. So encourage somebody before you leave this morning. We'll sing God be with you till we meet again and make that personal. David, pray for us, would you please? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship together as your body this morning. Our hearts have been blessed by the music of our choir, our musicians, and the precious young people. We've been challenged by our pastor that our purse strings reveal our heartstrings. And Lord, in this Christmas season and beyond, please help us to excel in the area of grace giving. Today, we pray for our mission of the week, Gideon's International, an organization that's dedicated to Bible distribution and evangelism. We ask that you'll help Gideon's across the country and around the world to continue providing your word and speaking your truth boldly and faithfully. God, we've heard this morning that peace can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that each of us will truly experience the lasting peace that is only available through you, the Prince of Peace. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.